story starts with this head of hair, this frizzy, curly mop top of a head of hair. This head of hair represents hope. Because last year at this time, I was bald. I was in the middle of treatment for breast cancer. And earlier that year, when I was told that I had stage three breast cancer, you know, I wasn't devastated. I did not feel cheated or betrayed. I actually felt hopeful. And I can't promise you that that came easily for me. I wasn't born a hopeful person. I had to earn it. And this is a story about how I got there. This is my holiday story about heart, humility, and hope. So it actually starts five years ago, around this time of year, almost exactly to the day, when I was at a routine doctor's office appointment. And I just happened to mention to my physician that I was having some pelvic pain. You know, I didn't think anything of it. As a matter of fact, I almost didn't tell her because I was in my mid-40s and healthy. As a matter of fact, I prided myself on how healthy I was. I was a marathon runner. I ran uh, ultra-endurance races. I cycled century rides. I had owned a fitness studio. You could say my identity was wrapped into being a healthy person. So when she said, hey, let's just run some tests, you know, just rule some things out, I said, fine. But before I knew it, that first test led into more tests. And within days, I was scheduled for surgery for suspected ovarian cancer. And I couldn't believe it. I was healthy. Ovarian cancer, this could be happening. And this is a year that I was hopeful and my heart was open because I had just recently experienced a divorce and I found myself in love and I was in a new relationship and I had recently sold my business, a fitness studio that I had poured my blood, sweat, and tears into and this was going to be a year of opportunity. So no, this could not be happening. I did not have ovarian cancer. Surgery was scheduled for December 16th and the night before surgery I was doing my best to distract when I found an email from my brother that I would like to read to you today. I still carry this with me. It came in December 15th at 7.17 p.m. and it's titled, Trust It. Leah, just some words of encouragement for tomorrow. It's human nature to want to control life around us. Tomorrow you will not have that luxury. You will have to have faith and trust things will be okay. You should trust in the love and support of your family. You should trust in the support of your friends. Trust in the capability and skill of your surgeon. Trust in the hospital. Trust in the process. Trust in your overall health beyond the circumstance you find yourself in. Trust in your ability to recover. Trust in your ability to heal. Trust in your strength. Trust in your ability to fight. Trust in your spirit. You have an enormous amount going for you, Leah. Have faith and trust in that. We will be with you through this entire experience. We love you and we believe in you. So that next morning, my family made a trip to Denver with me. My boyfriend, my brother, my mother, and my sister to wait for me while I was in surgery. 
And while we were in that waiting room, the nurse came out to give us instructions about the process I was gonna go through, telling my family that they could keep track on the TV monitor about where I was in surgery. And I was told that the surgery would last three to four hours or maybe longer. They wouldn't really know until they got in there. And then my name was called. And I followed the nurse back into that pre-op area. I had never been hospitalized, never been sick, never even broken a bone. And I remember walking through those double doors that it was cold and it smelled like sanitizer and it was loud. There were monitors going off and people were busy. And I'm thinking, it's December 16th. Who's getting surgery right before Christmas? A lot of people. So as I go back to the area and they pull the curtain behind me to tell me to put on that hospital gown, it started to dawn on me what was about to happen. And I started to panic. And I thought if I could just make eye contact with one of the nurses, if they could just see me, I would be okay. But they were busy and they were chatting about holidays and Christmas and plans and I'm thinking, I'm about to have surgery, how can we be talking about this? And so I started shaking, and then I asked one of the nurses if they could just give me something to relax. And the nurse said, soon enough. And then the IV started before I knew that I was asleep. So those first few days after surgery were a blur. As a matter of fact, I was in this sort of drug-filled, hazy fog of the state. I don't remember very much, but I do remember two things. One, my boyfriend never left my side, never left my side. And two, my nurse smelled like French toast. <laughs> I'm not kidding you, I thought this was the best compliment ever, so I would tell him when he came in, first of all, I just smelled him walking into the room. I thought, oh, you smell like French toast. And my, Brian and my boyfriend would sort of nudge me and say, yeah, I'm not sure you're supposed to say that. <laughs> I didn't care, drugs, good, French toast, it was a compliment. After about three days, I became aware enough about what was happening. Tubes were being pulled. I wasn't in as many pain meds. And my surgeon came in, followed by my family. And they made a semicircle around my bed. And I realized that she was about to tell me the results of surgery. But this was a woman, six foot tall, never smiled, standing there at the foot of my bed with my family. And she said, Leah, the surgery took nine hours. We found a lot of cancer. We had to remove part of your colon. You need to start chemotherapy right away. She said, while the prognosis isn't good, it's time for a full court press. And then she left. And I thought, did she just use a basketball analogy? <laughs> I don't know how to play basketball. I don't even like basketball. I I'm in trouble. <laughs> I also couldn't believe what she was telling me. It was a few days before Christmas, and I had stage three ovarian cancer. This couldn't be happening. This body that I prided myself on, this body that ran marathons, this body that taught 15 fitness classes a week, this couldn't be happening. But it was. And so the days turned into nights, and the nights turned into days. And I was becoming more desperate and losing hope, and my heart was broken. One day, my sister came in, and she brought one of those Charlie Brown Christmas trees, you know, the kind with like one branch and the red one, and yeah. Okay. I think she was trying to cheer me up. I think her intention was good, but honestly, that tree was just some metaphor 
of my experience. It's like, poor medical tree, my body. I finally had the courage to look down at my incision. I had 44 staples holding me together. I had a wound from the tip of my pubic bone to the top of my sternum, and I had a tube hanging out to the left side of my belly where they had removed my colon. Humility. I was reduced to bare bodily functions. And so as the days crept on and Christmas was getting closer, I finally just lost it. I think I freaked out the resident intern on staff because the next thing I knew, they called in the palliative care team, which was a chaplain, a psychologist, and I think another intern. Lovely people. And when they asked me what would help, I just said, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. And when they said, what's that going to take? I said, honestly, I have to prove that my colon works. I have to prove, yes, humility. <laughs> New boyfriend, no bodily functions ever, and now I'm in this state, right? So they said, okay, we are going to come visit you every day until you prove that your colon works. So this became a vigil for my colon. They would come in, give offerings to the colon dogs, still did not poop. One day they came in all dressed in brown. So I started, yeah, so I started laughing so hard and then crying because of the incision. It was Christmas Eve, and I thought maybe a Christmas miracle. No, not to be. At this point, I was well enough to get up, leave the room, walk around, and I did a little tour around that floor. Nobody was there. I think everyone was released to go home, but I was still there. Then, the day after Christmas that morning, that's when the miracle happened. <laughs> My polling worked, and I got to call the medical team in, we all went into the bathroom, we circled the toilet, <laughs> and there it was. Looked nothing like poo to me, but to them, good to go. <laughs> so I was released. And I want to tell you that at that point I found my hope again. But I didn't. Really, that was just the beginning. Because for the next year and a half, I was in chemotherapy, more hospitalizations, more lessons in humility, more heartbreak. But those were the seeds of hope being planted. I just didn't know it. Because upon the shoulders of giants, my friends and my family, I borrowed their hope when I couldn't find it. And I know that I found it. Because when I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer just this past April, I wasn't devastated. I didn't feel betrayed or cheated. I felt hopeful. And it's through the lessons of humility and heart that I'm able to tell you that tonight.